Amen. Thanks. Hi, my name is James. I'm actually, well, I was a pastor, and now I've transitioned to something different, into content creating. But I actually pastored at a church four years ago, really close to here. I don't know if you know South Edmonton Alliance Church. It's right by Grey Nuns, which is like five or ten minutes. I think I came here actually to drop off uh, Christmas boxes, because you guys used to be a depot. I don't know if you still are, but um, I remember bringing Christmas boxes here, so it's kind of cool to be here and actually speak here. I met with Dennis, and uh, he's a really cool guy. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's like, as I was a pastor at South Edmonton, I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to meet him till now. Um, but just thankful for this opportunity to be here and for him to trust me to be here to speak God's word to you. Um, after I resigned from South Edmonton Alliance, I actually co-pastored and church planted in a church uh, called Supper Club, which I do attend now. Uh, I was there for about two years, and I just recently resigned in November, and I'm doing this now in content creation. And it's something new for me. I don't have it all figured out yet, but that's where I'm at right now, and that's who I am, just a little bit about me. So as I'm doing this, I want to just bring along people on the journey that I am doing uh, ministry in. So I have an Instagram account, and I just asked Instagram, like, what should I preach on, you know, the Sunday as I'm going to sunrise? And they suggested a few options, and the majority of them, there was 35% who said they wanted to preach on a theology of suffering for me to do that. And then 37% voted for a New Year's encouragement for, for this new year. So I was like, okay, well, that's really close, but I'll go with the New Year's encouragement. So I was praying about that opportunity. And when I prayed with some friends of mine, uh, one friend, he mentioned the word renewal. And when he said that word, I just felt like this quickening of my spirit or like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me right when that word was spoken. And... Those moments where God kind of speaks or like you feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting you towards something is some of the most exciting moments of my life. And I just love when God shows us or shows me this path of like, hey, maybe move in this direction. So that's what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing uh, for me right now and also for this word that I want to share with you today. So renewal. Whoa. You can really hear that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that booming is actually, I have like a mechanical heart valve. I had heart surgery, you know. So, yeah, you can really hear it. So if you're wondering why that, that is, maybe I can, should I just use this mic? Would that be okay? And most recently, they said that I need a mechanical heart valve. So that's why that, that's always booming. I can't, I can't usually wear lav mics because that's always uh, the sound in the background. Another story. It doesn't really matter for today. So um, thinking about renewal, how are we seeking renewal? As this new year approaches, I feel like it's a very fitting theme for us. How are we seeking renewal 
in this new year, as the new year changes. I wanted to go to a scripture in Isaiah 6, this whole chapter that captures renewal in a way that may not be obvious, but it's this vivid vision that Isaiah receives. This message from God with a warning, but also a message of hope for renewal. So this vision that Isaiah receives, when does it happen? In the beginning of the passage, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So why this is significant, it gives us an idea of what's happening during this time that Isaiah receives this vision. Who is King Uzziah and how did he die, right? Well, Second Chronicles 26 talks about Uzziah. He was a very successful, very powerful and famous king. He won many battles. He built many structures. And it even says that God gave him favor. God gave him success. But after all that, Uzziah became too powerful. With His pride led to his downfall. He became too powerful, and he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord where he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be right in the center of the Holy of Holies. But he goes there because he's king. He thinks that he deserves to. He thinks he's great enough. He thinks he's a priest, which he is not. And he's ready to burn incense. And when the priests come and confront him, they say, like, you shouldn't be here. He gets angry at them. And as he's raging at these priests, he gets leprosy on his forehead. And the priests see it, and they're like, we need to get him out of here. So they get him out of the temple and then he is quarantined for the rest of his life until he died. And because of his pride, he is no longer king. And he's banned from the temple. And this is such a crazy story where this king becomes so prideful, so arrogant, that it leads to his death and his downfall as king. So this nation of Jerusalem, under this king, is likely very rich and very powerful under the influence of the king. And through the power of that king, through all his influence of, of building great, this great nation of Israel, this nation becomes prosperous, and they enjoy it. And like the king, probably become prideful and arrogant, living in this time of prosperity. So that's the context of this vision. So when God gives this vision and this message to Isaiah, he is addressing these people who are probably like King Uzziah. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, this is what Isaiah says, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's first reaction to God is first to cry out, I am ruined, I am unclean. These great creatures who have six wings praising God, unlike anything he's ever seen or imagined, seems so great that Isaiah's just overwhelmed. There's too much glory, too much holiness all around him in the room. It's so beautiful by just being in the presence of such greatness, he's overtaken. He's too dirty to be there. The aura of God is too great, and he feels overwhelmed. And he cannot even bear to be near these seraphim or be close to the Lord. And he responds by all this happening, and he just says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he lives among a people of unclean lips. So not only is he unclean, but all these people under the reign of King Uzziah are unclean. So as he's there, one of the seraphim flies and comes to him with a live coal in his hand that he takes from the altar, and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins atone for. I want you to imagine that, this coal I mean, from this hand of the seraphim touching and atoning the lips of Isaiah. Usually in the Old Testament law, when something unclean touches something that is clean, the unclean thing contaminates that which is clean. So there's all these laws about not touching unclean things, right, in the Old Testament. All that is clean is supposed to avoid all that is unclean, so that it can remain pure. And we probably know something about that as we've gone through COVID, right? Don't touch anything that's dirty. Don't talk to anyone who may be contaminated, right? In risk that you might be contaminated. However, in this scene, this coal, which is clean, touches that which is unclean, and it purifies it. It doesn't get contaminated, but it purifies that which it touches and makes it clean. It purifies and it atones. And though Isaiah is not worthy to be in the presence of the Lord, and the seraphims explaining the holiness of the Lord God, Isaiah is able to remain there and to be in the presence of greatness, presence of holiness, presence of purity, because this seraphim comes and atones sin with this coal his unclean lips. Then as Isaiah is there, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So God is willing to send Isaiah. Isaiah is willing to be sent. And God says, go and tell this people Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. 
Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I don't know about you, but if you were to be sent somewhere, would you want a message like this? It's like, go to a people that won't listen, they won't see, they won't perceive, they won't understand. But go and tell them. Go tell them my message. Isaiah is sent to this people where their hearts are callous, their hearts are hard. They may see with their eyes physically, but they don't see truly what God is doing. Their ears are dull and they can't listen, they can't hear what God is saying. They fail to listen. It's not a good outlook for Isaiah. Even though he's willing and he says, send me, he's being sent to a place where he has to deliver a message where no one will listen. I don't know about you, but for me, if I went, if God told me, go to his church and speak, but no one's going to listen to you. <laughs> no one's going to hear. No one's going to see anything. They're just going to ignore you. They ignore the message that I sent you to, to give. This is what the outlook for Isaiah as he is, is sent to send this message. Then Isaiah asks, for how long? How long do I have to do this? And God answers, he says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps and they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So this sounds like a long time. It's like, how long do I have to be there until everything's laid waste? And there'll be tenth left, but then it'll be laid waste again. <laughs> That's how long you have to go there and speak until everything's, until everything's ruined, the cities are ruined, until it's deserted, until it all is forsaken. But there are these last, last three lines of hope. In this deserted and ravaged wasteland, there will be tree stump. It's cut down. will be the holy seed in the land. That there's still hope for growth after all this. Something will grow from this tree after all that is laid waste. God will not kill all the Israelites but because he, he made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants will be a blessing to the nations. So his line must continue. But it won't be until after all this is destroyed. Old where the old Jerusalem is destroyed and conquered through other nations, but there will be a new Jerusalem, a remnant left. And there will be hope for renewal for that holy seed in the end. So looking at this whole passage, how does, and you reflect on that, how does that speak about renewal? How does that relate to renewal? I think we are often like Israel in this passage. We be prideful, like the King Uzziah, thinking whole, that we're holier than we are. Right? Thinking that we're so good because everything is good in our lives. 
We might be like the Israelites who don't want to listen. We've become calloused with hearts that are unwilling to change. But at the end, yet there's always hope. Even when it seems like all is lost and there's just calamity everywhere, Jesus can make a way. And when we look at this, and we think about the end where renewal comes, we can see early in the passage of where renewal could have taken place. We think about Isaiah's example, where he comes not like the Israelites who are unwilling to listen, but he comes in a place of humility and willingness to be sent where God wants him to go. And he lets his pride down. Like he doesn't have a prideful response towards God's glory. Where King Uzziah went into the temple and he thought he was so good, and he thought he was holy enough to be there, Isaiah, in the presence of God, said, Woe is me. I, I shouldn't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I need atonement. Whereas Uzziah thought he had atonement and he was already clean enough and he was good enough and he was holy. And we think about Israel as a nation. They probably thought, thought they were doing well. They were prosperous. They were healthy, economically stable, likely. They had comfort, security, and safety. But God sees that this nation still needs to change. He wants this nation to repent. But if you have all these things, if you have prosperity and health and everything's going well, your nation's doing well, why would you need to change anything? Right? And this is, this is probably their mindset. They think, we're so awesome. Things are great. Let's keep this going. And their pride and their arrogance prevented them from the renewal that God wanted for them, the change that God wanted for them. And when we look at Isaiah, he displays humility instead. And he proclaims that he's a man of unclean lips. And rather than displaying pride and arrogance, he displays humility. And I feel like that's the posture that God desires, even when things are going well. There is always room for change, and we can always be open for change, even when things are going well. But these people, their hearts become hard because of their pride and their arrogance. And as a result of their pride and arrogance, their hearts become calloused. And they don't truly see, they don't truly hear or perceive. However, renewal comes from a place of, of a soft heart. And even if you just reflect on the history of Israel, there's this pattern where God blesses them, things go well for a bit, they become complacent, they don't want to listen to God anymore, and God becomes angry with them because they refuse to repent, they refuse to listen. They become comfortable with their life. They think that they've earned all that they've been given by God. 
And if you think about it, repentance from sin requires this willingness and need for change. But a hard heart is one that resists change, one that doesn't want renewal. It's like, why would we want to change? Like the aspect of this thought of if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think a lot of times we have that kind of thought in our mind, this mindset. Why change things? And we often don't like change, especially when it costs us something. When you think about yourself, are you a person that doesn't like change? Are you someone who's reluctant to change? Are you comfortable with your life right now? Do you just want to coast through life comfortably and not have any risks or challenges? I know for myself, I'm getting a little bit older now, and I kind of like security, I kind of like safety, I kind of like predictability. When I was younger, I was like, yeah, I want to change the world, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. But now it's like, uh, I don't know so much anymore. You know, I have this mortgage and I have kids now. I have a wife, I don't know if she would want to come along where I feel like God is wanting me to go. And it's more difficult. It's more difficult to just change everything when we may have invested in things that might require us to keep things the same because we set systems in place already. And to change is to change those systems. But change is required for renewal. We can't have renewal without changing ourselves. That's why obedience is so important. And sometimes we think of obedience as like, well, we'll just obey so that we can be a good person. So we can be seen as a good person. But no, obedience is more of a great virtue because we're being obedient to a God who is calling us somewhere, calling us to do something. There's this book with this unflattering title called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I don't know if you've read it or heard about it, but this book with this title and all that is written in it, in a world where we want convenience, we want everything fast, right? We want zero wait times, we want, and we want our own way. A long obedience isn't something that sounds attractive to us. We would rather have a convenient way to get our own way rather than a long obedience. Because we want what we want and we want it quickly. Right? And a long obedience in the same direction, just one direction. For us, most of us want many options, right? Let's try this, let's try this, and maybe do this. Give me options so I can try them all and then decide for myself what's the best. But Eugene Peterson, he talks, writes in this book about not having a quick fix, but following Jesus on this narrow path, in the same direction along this narrow path, this long obedience it's not just a one-time thing, but it's a continued journey throughout our whole life, no matter how old we are or how young we are. And in his book, Eugene Peterson, he writes about repentance and he says, whenever we say no to one way of life that we've been long used to, 
there's pain. But when that way of life is in fact a way to death, a way of war, the quicker we leave it, the better. When we hold on to our old way, we can not move forward into what God wants for us. And moving forward might even mean letting go of some things that might be perceived as good. Good things like safety or security, finances, friends or family. Sometimes we need to let go of those things to grow, to be renewed. So saying all this, when I was given this verse and just going through it, I was like, how is this encouraging, right? <laughs> Sounds terrible, this image of this barren land, having to repent, feeling like we need to come in humility and be atoned. Doesn't seem encouraging at all, but the encouragement isn't that it's about us, but it's about Christ. Encouragement is that through Christ there is always hope. There is always hope. God is a God of grace who gives us the opportunity to change as long as we're willing to come to him in humility. And the hope of Christ is that he is like this coal that comes to unclean lips and cleans it. His blood that washed us of our sin. He comes into this world where he touches lepers. He heals beggars and lame people. And when he touches them, he doesn't become dirty, but he cleanses them and he forgives them of their sin. And that is the encouragement that like, yeah, we're going to fail. We're going to sin over and over and over. The hope is that when we come in humility, when we recognize that, yeah, we are unclean, I have unclean lips, and my people have unclean lips, I can come to him knowing that he's going to come and touch me and change my life and cleanse me. I could be made clean again over and over and over. That is our hope. That is an encouragement. That he is like this coal from this seraphim's hand that doesn't become dirty from touching Isaiah. Rather, he cleans Isaiah. He is a God that is willing to come into the dirtiest of places. Even into the places where we feel like God is not there. Where God could not be there. That Jesus could not cleanse these people. Jesus is willing to go there. And he's willing to cleanse you as well. So if we come and we're ready to repent, he is there to atone us back to God. And this last, these last three verses that talks about this stump, Christ is always with us and there's always hope. Like this stump in the wasteland of ruins, Jesus is this holy seed, a stump that can still grow out of this wasteland. There can still be growth. Even when all seems lost, maybe we've gone so far from God that we think, oh man, it's too late now. 
look at this wasteland of my life or look at the wasteland of this other person's life. There's no way that they will turn to God. There's no way that Jesus can come and change lives. Like Christ cannot ever be gone or like be squenched, squelched out. There's always hope that he can do what he wants to do, that someone can repent and come to him and that there can be renewal. Whenever you thought that he died and that was the end of it, that Satan won, he rose again three days later and claimed victory. What situation this world is in, our city is in, our neighborhood, our life, our family, there is always hope for a type of resurrection. There is always hope that God can use Jesus to change whatever situation is going on. We know that. So we can always be rest assured in that, in a faithful God. That there can always be renewal. Like a stump even left in a barren land that looks like there's nothing left to grow. God can make a way. I want to encourage you with one last verse in Romans 12:2. And it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." And I want to just remind you that not only in this passage in Isaiah 6 is Israel unwilling to be changed, unwilling to repent. We see this time and time and time again. Moses' time, Abraham's time, David's, Isaiah's. Israel becomes complacent, prideful, become arrogant and fail to listen to God. They fail to be transformed. They just want to stay the same. They just want to stay comfortable, stay where they're at. When we think about this new year, I pray that we would be a people that would seek transformation continuously, even if it seems like nothing else good could happen or God doesn't need to change anything. Let's still be open. Let's still have our hearts in a place where it can be soft, Let's please have a place where we, we come to a place where we know that we are still sinners. Yeah, maybe we've, we've had victory over sin in the past and God has changed our lives and we don't deal with that anymore. But there's still so much work that can be done in our hearts. There's still so much more that God can do in our lives. Well, sanctification is this process of endurance. It's not just a one-time thing. God continues to make us holy. And maybe we've been a Christian for a long time, but there's still places in our hearts that maybe we need to give to God. There's still, our lips are still unclean. 
no matter how much we've preached, taught, or led worship, or anything like that. Let's be willing to, to accept that, willing to say that to God. Because when you think about renewal, sometimes, well, when I think about renewal, sometimes I think about, you know, brand new lights or brand new sanctuary or this really big place where a bunch of people come and there's renewal because there's tons of people there. But in this passage, renewal isn't about the image of things becoming new, but it's more about a personal transformation. It's about you and how you come to God in a process of seeking change and seeking personal renewal for yourself. So, as you come to this new year, it's still early. Do you think God wants to change you somehow this year? It doesn't have to be big. It could be a small thing. But what, what is that? Possibly there's something. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a really long time, I hope that you're not the same person that you were five years ago, ten years ago. And you won't be the same person five years from now or ten years from now. God is always seeking renewal, no matter how long we've known Him. And a few months from now, I hope that you are a different person than you are today. So, as a church, as an individual, how will you seek, how will we seek to be renewed today? My prayer is that we would come to a place where we would see just the holiness of God and like Isaiah just proclaimed that He is too good, He's too holy, there's too much glory, and we are people of unclean lips. We need to be atoned for. And when after that, we would come and just say, God, I'm here, send me. And no matter what the outlook looks like, that we be willing to be sent, that we be willing to change and to be renewed. My prayer is that we would all be seeking this long obedience in the same direction towards Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. So as we close, I would love to just pray for us as a church, as a congregation, as body of Christ together. Father God, we, we give you thanks for who you are, that you don't leave us or forsake us, but you sent your Son not only to die on the cross, but to be resurrected from the grave, and that when it looks like nothing can grow, when it looks like the enemy has won, you are actually victorious. And that you came again to defeat the enemy. So Lord, as we think about our own lives, I pray that you would help us to come to a place where we would seek repentance. That we would be willing to change the patterns of our lives, the routines of our lives, not just for the sake of it, but if you are calling us to change.
you're calling us to go. So, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to speak to us about that. That we would not have hard, calloused hearts. Lord, and if we do, God, I pray that you would soften them just right now. That we would have eyes that see, ears that perceive and hear. So that we would not be complacent or too comfortable where we're at right now. That, God, you would show us which way to go. God, we thank you for Jesus. That he always seeks to atone for our sins. No matter how big or small our sins are, how old they are. <laughs> but Jesus, thank you for cleansing us and your willingness to cleanse us. Pray that we would be able to confess to you that we are a people of unclean lips. And our encouragement is that you are holy, you are great. You are victorious. Our hope isn't in ourselves. Our encouragement isn't about us and how we can do great things in this year or anything like that, but our hope and our encouragement is that you can, no matter what obstacles come. So, Lord, I pray for this church, that you would be head over this church, Jesus, that you would be king, that you would be Lord, And that everything that flows from these people would just be from you, God. We just thank you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit with us today. And that we are not just, you know, people in this physical realm, but there's spiritual things happening all around us and that we can be a part of. And that you allow us to take part in your kingdom vision and that even though you are so holy and glorious, you want us in your presence. So God, we thank you for Sunrise Community Church. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.